0: I was telling the earlier congregation about Angus Buchan, I think you've all heard about him, um, how uh, he uh, unashamedly uh, has said that that he wasn't the brightest uh, student. He unashamedly says that he was useless at sport and uh, he wasn't very well liked, he wasn't popular as a student. And um, as, as a result, he had a, a very bad self-image. And um, Christ broke into his life at uh, the age of a 16 or 17, I think it was, and changed his life, transformed his self-image about himself and about the father that he served. And he started um, having a desire to minister to, to men in particular, and men were attracted to him somehow. And on his farm, he invited more and more men over, over the years. I'd never been to any of those or any, any of the other um, outings. And uh, I asked one of our elders, um, um, have you ever been? And he said, yes. And I said, how, how many people were there? And he said, um, how he said, there were up to 250,000 men uh, visiting with him. Uh, at at one stage, and multitudes heard the gospel. Many of these men were unsaved, and many of these men came to salvation through this man. He is, still is, an ordinary, unsophisticated, not-so-clever farmer. And God delights to use ordinary people. In fact, he specializes in using ordinary people like us. God uses us despite our lack of status, and our ability. We see this in this passage, and we see this in the um, the men that Jesus chose. And um, I owe a lot to John MacArthur and his book on 12 ordinary men. I would encourage you to buy it and to read it. and goes through all of these guys uh, um, and their shortcomings, etc. And so Jesus chose, chose 12 ordinary men to establish and to grow his kingdom. Extraordinary. John MacArthur says he selected 12 apostles, not for their extraordinary abilities or spiritual superiority. He seems to have deliberately chosen men who were notable for their ordinariness. Their most outstanding characteristic was their ordinariness. How about that? He didn't choose a single rabbi. He didn't choose a single scribe or Pharisee or Sadducee or or priest. Instead, he chooses, cho- chose people from obscurity, people who were uneducated, people who were untheologically trained, um, people who weren't known for their great oratory or intellect or their influence. He chose these men above the spiritual hoi of the day. One was a zealot. A zealot um, zealots in those days wanted to topple the Roman government. And they often went around with big daggers in their cloaks, and they they got rid of their opposition in broad daylight just to terrorize. And in fact, they were modern-day terrorists. Modern-day terrorists. One one of these guys on board as one of the twelve world changers. And um there, there was there was a, a a man who who was a tax collector, he was a Jew, and Jewish tax collectors were despised because they um, got taxes for the Romans, and they took extra for themselves as well. So they defrauded their own people. And um, seven to, uh, four to seven were uh, uh, smelly fishermen, and um, the others were artisans, tradesmen, craftsmen. They were low class. They were uneducated, um, and they were nobody Galileans. It's amazing that he chose the nobodies of the world to change the world. And he still chooses the nobodies of the world. That's why he's chosen us and he's chosen you. How many of us are on Forbes, you know? Um, how many of us, Time Magazine? Have, have, have you been there? Have you? Uh, sorry, I forgot about Matt. World changes, the nobodies. Uh, I was reminded of of Charlie Payne and he came to Baptist College, I don't know if you were there that time <laughs> And his wife spoke, and she was, she was a wonderful lady. I mean, she was just so beautiful inside, outside. And then she shared her testimony, how she was a prostitute in Hilbra. Hilbra, in those days were, you know, it was a good place to visit. Was a safe place to visit, and uh, she was. I think she was a high class, highbrow um, prostitute, and and God changed her life. Jesus came and transformed this lowly prostitute, and she went in. She went back and she witnessed to the prostitutes in Hellbrowne and win, won many to Christ. Eventually, married Charlie Payne, who was full time youth for Christ, and they both saw the Lord f- full time. Chose the lowly things. And as you examine history, you will see that God has always chosen to work through people to reveal His glory and to extend His kingdom. He has chosen people individually and uh, He has chosen nations. He's, He's, He's chosen a particular nation and you know that nation, the Hebrew people. They weren't the greatest nation on the planet, they weren't the most numerous, they weren't the most intelligent, they weren't the most holy of people, they were rather a ragtag bunch, rather a sorrowful, pitiful sight of a nation, a nation who, who cut covenant with God, who, who said, yes, we will serve you to the end of our days, which they didn't. And um, time and again, they, they went away from their God. Time and again, they disappointed their God. And time and again, he had to chastise them and bring them back to, to, to repentance. And then he chose to send his Messiah in the fullness of time to this people. And Jesus came and he knew that the this nation, this his own nation, was going to reject their own Messiah. He was the Jewish Messiah after all. And so he chose 12 people, 12 people. The success of the kingdom of God advancing rested on 12 people whose most outstanding characteristic was their ordinariness. God uses us secondly despite our weaknesses and our failures. When Jesus chose these 12, he knew all about them because he was God. He was God. He knew about all their weaknesses. He knew them better than they knew them themselves. He even knew uh, Judas Iscariot. And, and he knew that he would reject Christ and be- betray him. And yet, nevertheless, he chose him. I found this most interesting and encouraging that, that God chose people who were not super superstars. They were not super Holy Joes. They were not a cut above the rest. I know that this is so encouraging for every Christian because we know that we've got frailties and we know that we've got weaknesses and uh, that, that he ch- chooses us. When I, when I see the church at large and see the remorse that happens now and again and think, God, how can you work through people like us? And he, he does. He does. Many Christians feel rather inadequate to serve God at all because of past failures, because of present uh, battles that they're going through. And so they, they don't serve him. and So they don't do great things for him. God has called them to do amazing things, but they, they hold themselves back from doing the things that God has, has called them to do. And many people um, over the years that I've known uh, haven't even been baptized. They, for years and years and years, that they 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 remain unbaptized, and I said to him, "Why not? I don't feel adequate. You'll never be adequate. Our adequacy he is in God. It's in Christ. He has made us righteous. We have His righteousness, His imputed righteousness. We don't have to wait indefinitely to be baptized. That's you. Be baptized straight away. On the day of Pentecost, they were baptized straight away. They recognized that they had been changed. They had been transformed in Christ. They had been renewed." in Christ. You see, it's it's, it's, it's a lie from the, the pit of hell that we have to be perfect or near perfect to serve God. Nobody would serve God. There would be no pastor or elder or deacon or missionary or evangelist if we had to be perfect. We're striving to perfection. We're striving to be more like Christ. It's no excuse not to, but it's no excuse to to, to hold ourselves back and say, oh woe is me, you know God could 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 never use me. Okay, so let's look at this bunch of world changes. The first thing that we recognise is that they were quite thick at times. Remember, they weren't the Einsteins of the world. Jesus said some these things in Matthew 15, 16. Are you still so dull? Matthew 16. And verse 9, uh, 15, 16, 16, and verse 9. Do you still not understand, Luke twenty-four, twenty-five. how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe? John MacArthur says they were at various times thick, dull, stupid, and blind. Uh, that's what he said. And uh, all these terms, all their equivalents are used to describe them in the New Testament, according to John MacArthur. A second problem was their lack of humility. You remember how they fought and squabbled and they pushed themselves forward and they wanted to be first and and they pushed others under. They had fights and arguments and Jesus had to roundly condemn them and speak to them and he led them by example. Remember, he washed their feet and he did other things um, to show them that he was the humble suffering servant as a, a leader, servant leader to them. And thirdly, they had a lack of faith. They didn't have only a lack of understanding and humility, but they lacked faith. Four times in the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus said, O you of little faith, O you of little faith. Chapter 6, verse 38, verse 26, 14, 33, 16, and verse 8, and write it, the end of his life, and after his resurrection even, um, Mark writes in chapter 16 and verse 14, he, he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart. How many times have I not had unbelief that has kept me from fulfilling the potential that I have in Jesus Christ? And his church at large, and churches, corporately, sometimes unbelief. No, God couldn't do that in our lives. No, no. We could never do that, we could never take on that project we could could never advance for the kingdom of God, lack of faith. we need to kill it in the name of Jesus Christ. Then fourthly, they lack courage and commitment when Jesus had a, this wonderful following they were they were so excited, they were so on on the ball for God they you know they were reveling in it, but then they started to diminish, you know Jesus started. Uh, telling them, no, no, no! I, I'm not your earthly king. I'm not coming to 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 give peace and prosperity. I'm not coming to overthrow the Roman government. I'm not your earthly king. I'm your spiritual heavenly king, the King of Glory. And they they left they left him, one one at a time. And then when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. What did they do? The disciples disbanded. They just deserted Jesus. And Peter even denied that he knew Jesus at all. How sad. Then five, they lacked love and compassion. On one occasion, they asked Jesus to call down fire to consume this group of people who'd rejected the message uh, of salvation. Call down fire. Just wipe them out, Lord. Just, yeah, summer Wipe wipe them out. That was was amazing. What wonderful material this is for ushering in the the kingdom of grace and love and mercy. What wonderful pillars of the church these guys would be. You've made a mistake, Jesus. (laughs) Come on. Can't you see it? You know, you've chosen incorrectly. But Jesus never made a mistake, did he? Never made a mistake. History has proven that. When you read the, the the New Testament and and the and the epistles, you see how these people impacted others and the church, and how how they developed and how they grew. Then he never made a mistake. And we're the recipients of what they did thousands of years ago. We're here because of them. So he never made a mistake. He never made a mistake in choosing you. How about that? You know, I, I fought. I fought going into ministries. Can't no, not me? No, I, I could think of a lot of other people who were better qualified. And and God had a, a a real tussle with me until at one time here to to really yank me uh, into Baptist College. Jesus never makes a mistake. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. His strength is made perfect in weakness. These men grew in faith and became powerful instruments in establishing the kingdom of God. Non-Christians looked at them and said, you know, hey, these are unlearned men and they're turning the world upside down. How can that be? It's impossible. That's the power of God to change lives, is it not? That's the power of God. Has he changed our lives? Has he changed our lives to that extent that we've become powerful instruments for the kingdom of God, individually and corporately? We need to ask that question and we need to grapple with that and we need to say, God, we want to be those people. We want to be those people. We're desperate to be those people. The power of God to change lives. These nobodies, these former weak vessels, astonished the world Absolutely astonished the world. Rick Warren said, When you think of the limitations in your life, you may be tempted to conclude, God could never use me. But God is never limited by our limitations. God is never limited by our limitations. God wants to use us despite our weaknesses, despite our limitations, despite our lack of status in the world. We might be nobodies according to the world. And that doesn't matter. We can't be intimidated by what they say about us, by what they say about the church. They've written the church off by and large because we've made a lot of faux pas as Christians down the years. But we are the children of the Most High God. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We've been put here for a reason, and it has significance. Do not be intimidated by those who say, you're of no significance. I was busy working in in the garden on uh, on my off day, on a Monday, and um, all hot and sweaty, phone call from somebody in our church, Barbara Boyce. My sisters had this terrible accident. She wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and she drove into this lamp pole, and uh, she's got massive brain damage, and her head is swollen. She looks ghastly. They've written her off. They're not giving her much hope. Can you go and pray for her? We were living in Durban North. Rushed off to the south, um, Wentworth hospital, had specialists, um, brain specialists, and I knocked on the door, and the nurse came out, and I said who I was and why I was there, and she said, um, and I, I saw four or five uh, top neurosurgeons there, and um, I said, I'll wait, I'll wait. Uh, the protocol is that they, they never they never uh, allow you to come in and pray while while they're busy. So she said, no, I'll go and tell them. I said, no, no, don't, don't. Anyway, she closed the door and, and I waited, and she came back straight away, and she said, they say you can come in and, and, and pray for her. So I said, no, I told you, I'll, I'll wait. Oh, no, no, they, they want you to come. So I thought, wow, you know, are they thinking that this is the last rite? Um I tell you, I was intimidated because here were four or five top neurosurgeons and has little old me. And God just had to rebuke me, chastise me and say, you're not little old you. You're the son of the most high God. You're my chosen instrument for this moment. And just a courage, a new courage just came whirling up with me and I thought, yeah, blow them. You know, I represent the king. You know, he, he's... He's the great physician. These guys don't even know much compared to, to this. All this was happening while I was, I was walking towards this bed. <laughs> and um, they said, yeah, what's your mission? And I told them again. And then I found myself praying with, with confidence. Um, Lord heal. They said, look, there's no hope for her. If the, you know, she would be a vegetable if she does recover. And I, something and he said, no, you're not going to accept that. And there was just such a a righteous indignation that that these guys had just written them off, written her off. She wasn't a Christian. So I prayed a prayer of salvation over her for their ears as well. Wonderful. You can get the gospel in. Oh, God, thank you that you're the Lord of the universe. Jesus, you're alive. You're our Savior. You do all things well. There's nothing impossible for you. Um, You change lives. And then we prayed for her. She walked out of the hospital a couple weeks later. And um, I would love to have gone back and said to them, how about God and his power? Not my prayer. It's his power. It's his, it's his purpose. Now, God doesn't heal everybody, but God just stirred my heart at that time. Don't be intimidated by those who have got more than us. We often are intimidated by the world and it holds us back from serving God. God's got great purposes for us individually and for this church, really. I'm, I'm, I'm not going back to Somerset West because I don't believe that, that that's going to happen. I firmly believe. I said it to the elders, and I said it to Matt. God's got amazing things for you, amazing things. But if we don't believe that, We'll, we'll never, we will never go into those things. And if we, if we don't accept that God wants to use us and live in mediocrity, we can stay there and not do great exploits for our God. Our mission is to impact this city, is it not? With the gospel and the glory of God. Impossible for us as human beings on the human level, but not impossible for God. If he's called us to do it, is going to equip us to do it, and so these um, twelve disciples were were threatened by and intimidated by the the religious rulers rulers of the day, and um, threatened to uh, to be killed and threatened to be put in jail. They were beaten, and um, they they refused to be threatened in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. It says, judge for yourselves whether it's right. They said, stop talking in this name, in the name of Jesus. Uh, and they said, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot but speak about what we have seen and about what we have heard. And at one time they were beaten and they went away. Oh, woe is us. Oh, I know. No, they didn't. They rejoiced in God. Yeah, thank you, God. We've been counted worthy to suffer for you. And then what did they do? They said, God, just move in signs and wonders and miracles. Come, come in power. They didn't back off. They were spurred on. Instead of being intimidated. I talked about the Indian laborer led a professor to Christ. He was a hitchhiking professor, Indian professor. Um, he was illiterate, this man, as a laborer. And over the months, he shared more and more of the gospel. He had to go back and, and, and ask his wife to read it, and his pastor eventually led this man to Christ. I think he lived in Chatsworth. And um, this man, this, this um, lecturer, had a wonderful testimony at the end of the day, because this man wasn't intimidated. There have been times when I've been in contact with CEOs of company and and there's this, whoo, intimidation. And I've had to kill the intimidation and say, this man needs Christ as much as anybody else. So what can we learn then from the disciples? And how can we be inspired to, to do the same? So they were changed and they were mightily used by God because, first of all, they had been with jesus and and people recognized that they actually it's written it's recorded they saw they were amazed at what they were doing and they recognized that they'd been with jesus jesus ministered to them equipped them established them and in due time something happened something changed something broke they didn't have degrees and neither do we to do great exploits for god I've known of many people who are untrained theologically, have done greater things than pastors and missionaries because they went out by faith and they trusted God for the impossible. How about us? How about us? We're with Jesus all the time, right? He's changed our lives, has he not? Amen. Changed our lives enough to be radical for him. And he's with us all the day, long. He's with us in his word. We can read it every day. Saturate yourself in the gospel. Saturate yourselves in the epistles. And then we become mighty warriors like they were. They were then filled with the spirit on the day of Pentecost from running away. wham changed. <laughs> Preaching to these thousands who, 3,000 came to know Christ and he was saying to them, you crucified Jesus, you crucified them. And they said, what must we do to be saved? What a transformation. Somebody has written that 12 men who are filled with the Spirit are more powerful and potent a force than 1,000 people who aren't. Just 12 people. Are there 12 people like that here? Yes, there are. There are. There are more than 12 people who are filled with the Spirit, and if you're not, let's pray for you, and and, and let's ask God to come with with power to to change lives. Let's let's ask God to do that. Uh, Desiree said, uh, I took a funeral for a relative, and she's saying, one lady that was here uh, wants to speak to me about salvation. There's power in the Word. There's power in living for Christ. There is power, in being filled with the Spirit. They were living proof, thirdly, of God's strength made perfect in, in weakness. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 2.16, Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Remember Paul became one of the apostles? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. He said, on, on other occasions, I didn't come to you uh, with self-confidence or uh, cockiness or, or um, my speech was lacking, um, but I came in the power of the Spirit. Made strong in our weakness when we, when we're feeling weak, God often uses us that's when when God uses us four they inspired others, they inspired others to build the church, to grow the church, to reach out to, to a lost world, and they did. you look at the epistles, how they, how he, he recommends he commends them for for reaching the world with, with the gospel. they were under tremendous persecution, but they didn't hold back despite persecution, they, they reached out because the apostles inspired them. Five, they were passionate about glorifying Jesus and about extending the kingdom of God. Passionate about it. Nothing could stop them, not even in the fear of death. And we need to be as passionate about it as well. You know, how often are we sharing this Jesus with others? Are we holding back? Are we intimidated? Are we inviting people to church? Are we inviting people to like alphas? Um, Hopefully you will have an alpha next year and hopefully you'll have a hundred of the people that you've invited. How many did you invite this time? Are we passionate about Jesus? Are we passionate about Jesus? I said opposite Anne's neighbor, and Anne said, come, come, full of arguments, and Wow, there is a tough cookie, eh? but a lovely person. And hopefully the, the gospel was deposited in our heart. Well done, Anne and Peter, getting alongside them. Six and last, they were prepared to die for Christ. They were prepared to be martyred, and the majority of them were martyred for Christ quite a thing. They were sold out for Jesus. They were totally sold out. God used ordinary men to do extraordinary things. And my prayer for this church is that God would use you, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things. Don't doubt yourself. Look to God. He's the source. He's the author of everything that is good and and equips you. He will equip you to do great exploits. In the last two churches, I said, I'm coming back, and you would have grown like this and this. You would extend like this and this. And I say that over you as well. I prophesy prophesy over you that God is going to save many lives through your witness, ordinary people like you. And um, I dare to believe that there will be signs and wonders as well. Dare to believe God is going to raise up many leaders, lay leaders, who are going to be let loose far and wide. They're going to go and, and others will say, wow, thank you so much for sending me this couple. And maybe they were, didn't amount to too much here, but God just did something as they were released. Be prepared to release.